On the tee from the United States of America, the Back Nine Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the week we've all been waiting for. You know what it is. Don't act like you don't know. Come on. It's Masters Week. But before we get into that, we have to go back and touch on the Vivint Houston Open, um, where a first-timer got his first dub on tour. And I'm not really one to talk much about this, so I'm just going to throw it over to my boy, Polv. Yeah, so no, it was a great week um, on the PGA Tour. Very nice to see Carlos Ortiz get his first PGA Tour win. Um, you know, that's great to see for him. Final round of 65, a well-deserved win. You know, the guy, it's been a long journey for him. He's He's been out here about a few years now, only 29 years of age, but he, he having this been his first win on the PGA Tour, he's got some experience playing professional golf and in the winner's circle. I mean, he's got three Corn Ferry Tour wins to his name, which is a lot to say, but you know, the, the big thing is that he, he doesn't have that much success out here in the PGA Tour until now. But, you know, I mean, no surprise to see him come in the clutch here at this event. I mean, last year he finished tied for fourth at this event, different venue. But, you know, he shows a lot of stretches of good golf um, when he he's a streaky player. And he's definitely one to to, to come to be out here for a while and, um, you know, keep in mind of his name. And he's going to be a big factor, I think. In the, probably in the next five to six years, that that range. So, Carlos Ortiz, you heard it front and center right here. Yeah, going off that from what Paul said, um, this past weekend in Houston was a little different, and that was because there was a limited amount of fans there. Everyone was required to wear their mask. Some obeyed, some ignored uh, the policy that the tournament put forth. But two guys who made a nice climb on Sunday were Hideki Matsuyama, and Dustin Johnson. Even though DJ and Matsuyama both fired off nasty scores on Sunday, it wasn't enough for either of them to get that first spot. With that, we're gonna start moving into our next segment. Our next segment is an interview with a guy who really knows the game of golf, knows a lot of guys on tour, has that experience to share with you all that you all should hear because it's so interesting. I know I was amazed when we were talking with him. So let's get into that next segment. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this guy needs no introduction. He has worked with more than 20 PGA touring professionals, including a former world number one golfer and two major champions, collegiate golf teams, competitive amateurs, nationally recognized junior golfers, teaching pros, and recreational golfers who just absolutely love the game. Golf Digest Magazine has awarded him the the distinction of being a top 50 golf fitness professional in the country. We now welcome Ben Shear to the Back Nine Bros podcast. What up, bros? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I mean, we, when we were going through everything and we saw that you were a possibility to have on our show. We we're like, that would be phenomenal. That would be huge. But um, I'm going to let Polv here take it away and uh, start opening up the question and conversation with you as, I mean, you're a guy who has a lot of fame in the game. He's well-known, um, works with a lot of guys on tour, and I think Paul knows you best, so we'll let him get into it first. So, Ben, um, obviously you're, um, you've got a lot of success in the, the golf training world throughout your, your years out here. So 
Um, you know, how, how did it start for you? How did you get into it? Um, was it always a passion of yours or did you, did a position open up for you? Tell us a little about your journey. Yeah. So none of that, not a passion, no position, <laughs> no nothing. It was out of desperation, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was working with athletes. This is almost 30 years ago. You know, you quickly learn there's not a lot of professional athletes in New Jersey. Uh, you quickly say, okay, cool. I can work with college guys. And then you realize, wow, they're only home in the summer and maybe a bit over Christmas break. Well, can't earn a living doing that. Oh yeah. I'll work with some high school kids like you guys. And you're like, well, that was great, but you know, you can't come until three 30 in the afternoon. And you know, you generally got to be done by about eight 30 at night. Well, I'm not gonna be able to pay my bills and, you know, support a family doing that. You know, as a young guy, maybe at the time it was okay. You made a couple bucks and you're having a good life. It was fine. But to think that's going to be your future and you're going to have a family and support a family doing that. Well, that didn't, the math of that didn't add up very well either. So I was looking for a way I needed people who can come and fill up my morning hours. Now that I had all these people in the afternoon and I wasn't super interested in working with, you know, the typical weight loss type of client or the, what was, you know, the person usually going to the gym. And I wanted somebody who had some kind of functional goal or performance related goal that they actually wanted to achieve something and work towards something and, you know, also need to be able to afford my services. And golf happened to be the sport that checked that box, kind of like the country club sports. It was like tennis and golf were the big two. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of more interested a little bit in golf, I think, than I am with tennis for whatever the reason. And I started digging into the science of golf. And at the time, like golf fitness wasn't even a thing. This is like, you know, in 1994 or something like that, you know, and, and golf fitness didn't even exist. No one ever heard of golf fitness at this point. But when you started looking, when you realized there are people there, there were universities doing research, there were certain people doing doctoral theses on it. So I started reaching out to all of these people who were doing all this really cool stuff and, you know, now a lot of those people as golf and sports science has become so popular, a lot of them have become very famous in the golf world. But back then they were just a bunch of golf nerds, just like me trying to learn. And I got in this like inner circle of like the smartest guys in the world doing all this really cool, like PhD and graduate work study and ground reaction forces and kinematics and all of the cool stuff going on in golf. And I was taking their research and then applying it to training. Cause I was like, oh, well, that's really cool. But that's basically just telling me what they should do. My job was to figure out how to get you to be able to do it, right? So I was kind of then taking people to the gym, doing different evaluations, giving them different exercise programs, and then would have these people retest them and say, oh, did we actually get better or not? Uh, now, some of this stuff in technology, this testing, you can be doing real time. You can literally have people do different things minute by minute and test it. But back then, you know, you would send in information and they would get it back to you two days later. And, you know, it wasn't like it is today. And all of a sudden I was making good positive change. And then people were asking me, hey, what did you do <laughs> to help that person make those change? And all of a sudden I was in this inner circle and, you know, the tour guys eventually started looking for these type of people and I was kind of right in the middle of it. And this was, you know, the beginning of sports science. I mean, still we're in the beginning of sports science on a real level, but certainly pre-golf uh, fitness as a thing, you know, before the tiger generation, let's say. And, you know, I, I started working with a local country club pro who was a big fitness guy. And, you know, I kind of approached him and was like, look, I think I can help you with your golf. And he's like, what do you know about golf that I don't know about golf? I'm strong. I go to the gym. You, you, you don't know anything about golf. And I was like, look, just come check it out. 
if you don't like it, fine, whatever, it's all good. But if I can help you, then great. Could you send me some of the people from your club? And, you know, within the first hour, he was like, oh my God, this was unbelievable. I never even thought like this was even a thing or even a way to think about it. And we hit it off and I literally have an appointment with that guy this week. <laughs> um, somebody that I still, yeah, I work with him now almost, you know, still almost 30, 25, 30 years later and changed the way he saw everything. And he happened to be at a good country club by where my gym was. And all of a sudden he started feed, feeding me people. And I was like, wow, these people can afford my services. They're super passionate. They really want to work hard. You know, even guys who are 55, 65 years old were like, man, I want to hit it farther. I want to play better. They really cared about doing it and their passion for the game was really incredible like young guys like you I mean even to this day if I go to a tour event I can have a person come in and I see them oh where are we oh is that the players or whatever like oh you know I remember 1986 I played at TPC Sawgrass and on um, you know on the hole number 13 my second shot I hit it into the rough and like they go on this whole tangent these guys like remember every shot they ever hit it's like holy cow, man, you guys are crazy. Like people are passionate about it. And Maddie, you know, you're in the gym with us a lot and even part of some of the staff stuff we're doing. And you hear my wife will even say to you, dude, how do you know all this stuff about golf, right? It's like people have a passion for golf. And so when I realized I was tapping into something from a business perspective that could be really beneficial, I was like, you know, maybe I should even dig deeper in. And I dove in, you know, head first, and really just look for what is the latest and greatest and what the best things you can do for golfers. And boom, there you off and running. And then I started with my first tour player in 1998. So that's kind of a long time ago. So given where you were, like you said, in 94, just starting out new to the game and where you are today, working with a lot of the best players in the world, best collegiate players in the world, like what kind of sets you apart from the other trainers out there? Because since Tiger came up, Golf training, like you said, has been brought to a new level, but it's not every day you run into a guy who's worked with world number ones uh, with some of the best guys out there. So what's that that key point or the few things that you think is really what makes you special? Yeah, so I think what's great about golf fitness today is it's become so popular and so many young players like you guys have access to golf fitness. You know, it, back in the day, it was something you did to have an advantage. Now it's like if you're not doing some sort of golf fitness you're at a disadvantage. It's not to even have an advantage. It's just to be even to have a shot to be doing it, right? So the world has changed. So I think the real difference for me versus maybe some other guys is not in that what we're doing, it's how it relates to golf, the real specificity of it. So I would say that 80% of everybody who's going to the gym for golf is doing the same stuff. It's just good human function. I work well as a human being. Like you, you can't be a good golfer unless you are good moving, good functioning human first, right? So I think a lot of people are doing a good job of checking that box, move better, stronger, maybe a little faster, whatever the case may be. But I think the magic at the highest level is how that really relates to your technique, why you should have a different technique and getting that next level of transfer from the gym to the golf course, right? So not saying that the other 80% doesn't transfer. Of course it does. If you get stronger, that helps you. If you get more mobile, that helps you. If you get faster, that helps you. All of those things help you. But at the highest level, you're looking for the smallest gains, right? Everybody has that. That 80%, everybody has that. That's not anything special in today's game. And that's way better than doing nothing. But at the highest level where everybody is great, everybody is good, everybody's going to the gym, everybody's doing all stuff, how do you find the marginal gains as a tour player to take an advantage over another tour player? 
that's a whole other conversation of specificity and detail and correlating what you're doing to the gym, to force plate data, to 3D biomechanical data, to how your body moves, to like connecting all of these more advanced dots so that you can really get every single little thin sliver advantage you can get. No, that's awesome, Ben. And, you know, obviously now, um, you know, with your program, your junior program, along with doing, working with all these pros, I mean, how does, how does your schedule look? I mean, do, do you have a lot of time to get to these players around the country that you're, you know, and I guess outside the country too, in Europe, um, or do you have to stay back here in Jersey with, and work with these college and junior players? So look, I, I think that I try to find a balance between that. Um, there are obviously a lot of trainers who spend their whole life traveling out on tour. They live out there. They're doing 35 weeks a year. This is their only job. Uh, they're literally living their lives in hotels, running from event to event, which is very cool, fun life. Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I own my own facility. I have other stuff. Like while I love working with those guys, and it's obviously a big part of what I do, it is not all that I do. And it's important for me to be home with my son growing up. It's important for me to spend time with my wife. It's important for me to, you know, see what's going on in our junior program for things that like you guys have done. Not that I'm the one running the workouts day to day, but making sure the right things are being done and that the kids who come through my program are getting what they deserve. And then I have a handful of business people and other guys uh, kind of competitive amateurs or serious amateurs that I work with as well at home. So I need to be at home a enough to work with them. And then I mix that in with, I go to X number of tour events per year. And then I will go see the guys kind of also dispersed between my visits to their homes where we get a couple intensive days uh, where we're re up redoing programming, where we're reevaluating, where we're going to the course. Like I said, that thin slicing stuff, I think is where I separate myself. I think I really understand the golf part better. I think a lot of people have a lot of these cool technologies now, force plates, 3D, all of that stuff. But to be honest, I mean, I don't want to say it in a bad way, but I don't think most people actually know what they're doing with them. I think it's really, it's really more show for clients to say, oh, look, I have a force plate or I have a 3D system or whatever. I don't think most of them can actually know how to about changing patterns, what to actually do with it. But it's really cool for business because they look sophisticated. Um, but what you do with the information is the only thing that matters, right? So I think I'm really good at that. So most of the guys I work with, their coaches want me coming with them to the range. They want me coming with them to do the force play data. They want to do it together. They want to do the three. They want me there as part of that process. So I mix and intersperse this. So my, my schedule is kind of like a on and off, on and off. It's like, I'm on the road. I come home. I'm on like, so last week I was down in Florida doing some master's prep work. This week I'm home. I actually didn't go to the master's. But next week I'm back in Florida, right? And then I'm home for like two weeks. And then it looks like my schedule looks like I'm going to be going to Dubai for 10 days, right? So it's like, I'm kind of, I mix and match my time and try to get a little bit of each, which I think for me is nice. I think I'm not like, you know, living in hotels out of a suitcase, which is not the most enjoyable. So I get a kind of more normal life at home and then I get the, you know, enjoyable part of getting to work with the best players in the world at the same time, which is intellectually challenging. And, you know, you know, people love to say, Oh, of course you're it's, you can help these guys because, you know, if I had a racehorse, it would be easy for me to help them also. And I'm like, look, man, these guys are at like 99.9% optimal, right? These are the 0.0000.1 players who have ever put a peg in the ground players in the world. 
The odds of you messing them up is way greater than the odds of you helping them. And they're like, oh, I got to work with 20 handicappers. It's like, dude, 20 handicapper, anything you do should make that guy better. I mean, you get them a little bit more mobile. You get their club in a little bit better. I mean, are you kidding me? Oh, I helped the 20 handicappers. It's like, oh my God, really? I mean, then you go to any trainer and help a 20 handicapper, right? It's like, if you just do some good, like we said, human training, make them a better functioning human, they should be better golfer when you're at that level. So, you know, you're really looking to find that part intellectually. For me, that's the part that I enjoy. Like, where can I find that 0.01% for this guy to help him get to the next level? Yeah, and I'm just curious, mainly for the guys on tour, whether they're doing something in their swing where they're trying to change or whether it's the, the mid-season versus the off-season, how much do you vary their routines and what they're doing? Is it mainly just let's find your weaknesses and let's attack those or does it really vary based on what the player is doing with their own game and what events they're playing and so on and so forth? Yeah. So the tour really has become tricky to be honest now that we don't have an off season. It used to be great back in the day up to like whatever it was, I think 2012 or 13 where we kind of started the wraparound season. Um, but back in the day you basically would finish. I mean, there were some fall series events, but basically guys who had their card locked up, never played those events. It was like, once you had tour champs, those guys were done. And that was like, you know, kind of first week in September and they were not going to be showing up to play golf until January in Hawaii. And some guys, if they weren't in like the tournament of champions, they might not even go to Sony for one week. That's just too far. So they weren't even going to go play until West coast swing. So they literally had 12 weeks, whatever the case may be little off time. So you could have a true off season type of training program. Nowadays, you really can't do that because the season just keeps rolling. And, you know, in that initial first few years, when they started the wraparound season, Jimmy Walker decided to play a bunch of those events and he would win a couple events. And all of a sudden he'd be so far ahead in the FedEx Cup that all of a sudden all the other guys are like, whoa, 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 we can't let him get so far ahead. So now everybody is kind of participating in that round. So if you get like three or four weeks off ever straight, that's like incredible uh now on the pga tour scene and this year unfortunately we got bigger stretch of that with coronavirus but i mean assuming that we're playing you're not getting that so you can't really have this kind of in-season off-season type of mentality so you are going to have to pick and choose when and where to push physically when and where to back off physically if your swing feels good and your body feels good, maybe you're just rolling that. If you're trying to make a swing change and maybe your body can't get into the positions that you want and your coach is trying to get you to do something, you may just say, hey, you know what? The next couple of weeks, I'm just going to have to do the best I can, but I got to work through this because I need to come out on the other side. And there's not going to be a six-week, eight-week, 10-week window where I can ever work on it. So if I'm going to make the change, I'm going to have to play through it and I'm going to have to figure out how to do it the best I can. And obviously you're trying to manage how much stress that creates and all of that other stuff. But there are guys who will do it. And obviously when you start looking at players, you know, there are different levels of player, right? So if you're working with a top 50 guy in the world, who's in all the WGCs, all the majors, all that stuff, he might be less concerned with some of the smaller weeks going to Memphis or, you know, John Deere or whatever. He might be willing to say, Hey, you know what, for these couple of weeks to make the change, I'm willing to kind of cross my fingers and hope for the best, but I'll just stay the course and do the work through those events. And they really just want to be focused on, uh, you know, kind of peaking for the majors, the WGCs, the invitationals, those big events and other guys who are not in any of those events, right. They're trying to keep their cards. So every little event they get in or whatever is really, really important. And they have a different mindset, right? You know, there's guys who have no fear of losing their card. 
And there's guys who are like, oh my God, I am grinding to make the money or I'm going to be back on the corn ferry next year. And the, the psychology is different and how you have to train them, prepare them, cycle them, what we call periodization, how you have to do that is going to be very, very different. And I think the problem too many young kids have, you know, you go to the juniors and I think, you know, I think Cole, you're a victim of this a little bit is that growing up, you think everything is the masters. You think every AJGA matters and you think every event matters. It doesn't matter. It literally does not matter. It's nonsense. If you actually said, hey, look, my goal is to be really great for four events a year and just said, I'm going to work my way through. I'm going to keep training. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. You would play much better golf. Too many parents don't understand it. Too many kids don't understand it. They feel like every time they put a peg in the ground, it's about trying to win. And the reality is they never put enough block work in on their body and on other things to actually ever make the huge jumps that they could make if they would just be like, you know what, whatever. And guess what? By the way, while you're doing that, you don't go play horrible. You won't die. It'll be fine. You're not going to go shoot 97 because you kept working out. Like the best kids that I have and juniors that have come through our program. I mean, we have some, you know, great players. I mean, kids who have come in top and, you know, junior amateurs that are playing in big time, you know, D1 schools. They're the ones who did the least. You know, they would go play in the junior am on finish on Sunday and on Monday they'd be in lifting weights. And they would literally be lifting weights until the day they left to go start their practice route. They never stopped. And too many kids cycled, oh, well, I'd work out in the off season, but then golf comes, I'm not going to work out. Well, if tour players did that, they would never go to the gym. Every one of those guys is in the gym every week. Right now, if you go tomorrow, touring the Masters, it's going to be raining tomorrow. It's the Masters this week. The gym will be packed tomorrow with guys lifting weights and doing stuff. It's nonsense. The mindset that young kids have and parents have is nonsense. It is not a development mindset. It is a short-term solution mindset. People need to get away from thinking like that because you, if you never make those commitments to doing that work and sustaining it over time, you never make the big leaps. You're just always in this small grind. When you're young, you should be able to make massive jumps, big jumps, big jumps. But instead, everyone's like, well, I'm good. So, you know, I got to compete really hard this week. It's like, no, no, you don't. Because you'll be fine either way, number one. And number two, if you really want to be a top, top player, you've got to do that work or you're just not getting there. I mean, look, there's a random kid here and there who's just so much more talented than everybody else, you know, or whatever. But what is the one thing you hear about the Tiger Woods and all these people? They were the hardest worker. They worked the hardest in the gym. They worked the hardest on the ring. They did all of it. And they never once said, oh, I can't go to the gym, the Masters next week, or I can't go do this. Like, never. They don't, that's not a mindset that the top players in the world have. And I think that most people, and even amateur, just everyday weekend golfers who want to perform well, have to realize you got to just keep working. It's a 12 month process that never ends. Yeah. So I feel like you've like over in that, like last question, you really went over some of these, but you really didn't highlight your main philosophies yet. So I'm going to ask you the question of what are your main philosophies in golf and what kind of training do you like and think is the best for players, whether it's amateurs, um, whether it's guys that just want to go over and like just put, like put the peg in the ground, smack the white ball around the field or your top tier PGA tour players that you work with. So yeah, what are the main philosophies and what training do you think is the best for different types of players? I give, I'll give the same answer. I give everybody when they ask me these type of questions and the answer is it depends, <laughs> right? So it depends on the person. What are you trying to do? Where are you physically today? How much time do you have to go in the gym? 
How many days a week will you go? How much time do you have per workout? Where are you trying to change your swing? Are you just trying to hit it farther? Or do you have back pain? Uh, can you get your clubs in the positions that your golf pro is trying to get you in? So for some person, it might purely be mobility and stability work to try to get them to be able to have a bigger turn. Like, so a lot of our businessmen that we have, let's just say your amateur golfer, weekend warrior golf guy, the average golfer, the 55 year old male golfer who sits behind the desk 50 hours a week, you know, the fastest way for him to hit it farther is to get more flexible because his, he's got no turn. So if he could just get his hands and the club deeper and give himself more time, he's going to hit it farther. He doesn't need to be like lifting weights and getting tighter and tighter and tighter. He needs to get a bigger turn. He needs to get the club deeper. He needs to get his hands deeper. He, if he just gets a bigger turn, boom, club head speed just went way up. He, he's got no speed because his swing is so short, right? On the other side, you can have young female high school college collegiate golfer who's like crazy flexible, right? The young girl golfers, you know, the, the problem side you tend to see with them is their swings get too long. Their swings get too loose. It gets like so big. And so, well, they need to be doing a lot of heavy weightlifting and they need to be getting stronger. They need to be doing other stuff, right? Some people, it might be, hey, look, I'm trying to create with our tour players, I might need to be creating more horizontal braking force to create a better kinetic transfer of energy. And when I make my move, the way I break and I take my horizontals and my rotaries and I turn them into verticals, the timing of it is no good. Or I have too much lateral push for my lateral breaking. So you might be creating really specific types of drills in the gym that are trying to train the neuro and muscular system to understand movement patterns. So you're really doing specific movement stuff related to their golf swing. So like it could be anywhere and everywhere across the board. And I think part of what I do well is that I don't have a philosophy that says, this is how golfers should train. I think that there's a million things that golfers can do to help them play better golf. And I think that having the right evaluation process of when someone first comes to see you and then identifying what the physical traits are, talking to them and saying, hey, Matt, Cole, Connor, whatever, what are you trying to accomplish in your swing, man? What, what is your biggest miss? You know, what is your golf pro trying to do? Whatever. And understanding what you're trying to accomplish and then connecting those dots is really the key for a better player, right? Really connecting the dots is something for a really good player. And so it can be everywhere from general to broad um, or super, super specific, depending on where you are and what you need. So I know you want me to give you like a clear answer. And sadly, there's just, there was no clear answer. I mean, that's understandable. I mean, everyone's <laughs> has a different situation and scenario. Bo uh, or Cole, I think you want to get in here, right? Yeah, I was just curious. I know you, I mean, it varies for every player, understandably. And I think that's the same for most sports. You know, you might have a guy who's super powerful with his lower body, vice versa. And maybe he's a basketball player. And so, like you said, it varies. But do you see any trends with, you know, with teenage boys or with older guys? I know you touched on just getting more mobile. Like, let's just yeah. say collegiate guys and, and high school players. Is there one thing in particular that you yeah. see as a common trend? Yeah. So if you want to just start throwing blankets over things, which I don't love to do, but if you want to make the generalizations is what you're saying here. Like, so girls, I think young female girl players, high school collegiate need to be stronger. I think most of them, you know, I think why we've had so much success with our junior program with our girls is we take young girls and we get them lifting heavy weights. And all of a sudden, you know, they got 105 mile an hour club head speed when they're 16 years old and 
game on. If they can even find the fairway at all, most girls, it's, it's already over. We've already killed you. And, you know, I know you guys know some of the girls who've come through my program. I mean, you know, really, really top, top players. Um, so I, I think that's my journey. I think for the boys, I think most, you know, again, you have some boys who are naturally just more physically developed and strong by nature. And you have some skinny kind of whippy kids um, or super flexible kids. But I think for the boys, the key is most of you guys, especially as they, you're going to go through puberty and you're kind of 13, 14, and then all of a sudden you're 15, 16, 17, you, you were mobile. And all of a sudden your mobility starts going away as you start filling out and you start getting muscles. And so you've never had to stretch a day in your life. And maybe you started exercising and you're doing some basic body weight strength stuff. You're doing some push-ups or pull-ups or something. You think, oh man, this is helping my golf. Then one day you look up and you're like, man, my turn got kind of short. You know, my hips aren't moving quite the way they used to turn, right? Now you have some hip mobility stuff. You got some thoracic mobility. So I think for the young boys, I think you kind of look at like, you got to maintain a bunch of things. You've got to make sure you maintain the mobility that you had when you were a little bit younger. So you're going to have to start working on foam rolling, stretching, that type of soft tissue work, whatever you need to do. Um, and I think specifically really focusing on the hips and the thoracic spine. And then at the same time, you want to like really say, okay, well, I'm getting stronger. How do I convert that into speed, right? Like how do I actually increase club head speed? We know all at the end of the day, it's about, you know, the long ball. So if you don't create speed, you know, we love to talk about power, but in reality, the golf club's not that heavy. It's speed we're in search of, not power, speed, 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 right? <laughs> um, you know, power is strength times speed. So that's great, you know, if you're a football player and you want to smash into somebody and push them back. And I'm not saying doing power exercises isn't a bad thing for golf. It certainly does have a place and a time. But the end result is we're looking for club head speed. We're looking for ball speed. We're not looking for ball power and club head power. We're looking for speed, man. Right? We, that is what golf is ultimately about. And you guys got to figure out how do you tap into that? And that is both physiologic, like the muscle, the muscles and all that stuff. But the other part is the neurologic. Like it's your how fast does your brain send the messages to your muscle to do it? So like I, I'm a big, huge believer that intent is a, a big part of it. So I, I love to see a player... You know, again, even for you call your age right now and the level that you're playing, would love to see you, you know, go to the driving range three, four times a week, 20 balls, 30 seconds between balls. Don't worry about the ball goes and just let her fly, man. Everything that you've got. I mean, literally, and not looking at your club head speed, ball speed. Look at ball speed, ball speed, ball speed, ball speed. Because the one day you go to use some of your other buddies, you know, launch monitor or whatever it is. You're going to go, oh man, my speed's down. It's like, you know what? Every track man reads different. Every, everything reads different. None of those things are exactly the same. And so that can become freshman. One thing is if you're using a track man, it's tracking the ball in the air. That's going to be consistent. Um, the way it sees the club with radar can be very different. The color of your driver affects it. I mean, driver happens to be the worst club for a lot of these technologies to actually read and has the most inconsistency where the ball itself is the ball. Um, so I, I'm a big look at your ball speed guy, but I think just literally your intent is every ounce I've got. I mean, like no concern where the ball goes, million bucks, hit it as far as you can and let her fly and literally training your nervous system and your brain to get those things firing as hard and as fast as they can. I think that is huge for guys your age. 
So Ben, you talk about speed here. I think there's no better guy than to talk about right now. That's Bryson DeChambeau with the, the whole speed thing. I saw at uh, what his launch monitor at Augusta two days ago was 201 ball speed. Um, so now let's get into the current state of golf. So Bryson's approach, like changing his like whole body from last year to now, pretty much through the whole quarantine process against the other guys on tour. And like, what's the impact on the game of golf with guys going after that 200 plus ball speed? Yeah. So look, I mean, I think what Bryson's doing is awesome. I know some players don't like it. I'm sure Maddie doesn't like it. Um, but I think it's awesome. Look, to me, he's done the work. It's not like that was a natural. He did the work. He changed it on. He, he went to the gym. He not only went to the gym, he changed his diet. He's maximizing his equipment. He's maximizing his intent. He's maximizing his technique. He's tapping into science and going to get every little inch he can get every place. To me, that's skill. Good for you. Have at it. Awesome. I'm, I'm all in favor for that, right? So I don't, I believe if you have an issue with how far the ball goes and all the, like the rule changes, bifurcate the rules, okay? The average golfer, the last thing they need in the world is for us to have the ball go shorter. I mean, all you guys play at your local country club. You, you think that the 55-year-old guy who sits behind the desk needs his golf ball going shorter? I mean, the guy's already shooting 99, 109 or whatever, and he's driving at 220 if he's good. I mean, the last thing that poor guy needs is this golf ball to be restricted, right? So I, I don't even want to hear about that conversation. If you want to bifurcate the rules, fine, because look, what tour players are doing, they're not playing the same game that the amateur is playing. It's a different sport. Like, like let's just, that one's entertainment and one is a sport that people play. Like we're, they're not playing the same game. If you see the numbers that he's hitting in, Bryson's hitting into, the guy's hitting wedge into half the greens at Augusta, par fives, he's hitting seven Ironman. I mean, are you kidding me, right? So like most guys from the white tees, at, if most guys were playing from the tips at Augusta on that, they'd be hitting four to get through the green, like your average country club player. Like the last thing we can do is take away. So I'm all for what he's doing. Obviously as a fitness guy, it's great for me. The longer, the more the game becomes about length, the more important my job becomes uh, my job is going to get more and more important as the year goes on. And look, the reality is, I mean, I hate to say it to the golf pros, straight doesn't matter, buddy. Sorry. That, the days of that are over, right? We know from statistics on tour that driving distance is the number one indicator of how much money you are going to earn, man, and what your world ranking is and all that stuff. That's it. That's the game. The game now is how far you can. So you can either say, I don't like it and say, oh, I'm going to worry about my accuracy. Or you're going to say, hey, guess what? If that's the game, the direction the game's going, I have no choice but participate. So do I think what Bryson is doing specifically, putting 40, 50 pounds on and all that stuff is a good idea for most players? No. Bryson has a frame, number one, that can handle it. I mean, I, the trainer, he works with a guy named Greg Roscoff. I did an, like an internship with him, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. I know Greg pretty well. Um, he's an interesting guy, right? So it doesn't know anything about golf, but, you know, you know, Bryson's a physics guy, right? So mass times acceleration, right? So he's like, well, if I have more mass, that's probably going to be better. And if you look at the long drive guys, they're all pretty big dudes. There's not too many, you know, Jamie Sadlowski's of the world who make it to the world drive. I mean, you know, my buddy, Ryan Steenberg, he calls himself the golf fitness freak. You look at Kyle Berkshire, you look at these guys, they're all big dudes, right? So they have mass. And so I think Bryson just took a page from what the long drive guys have done and said, okay, well, what if I can do that? And I can actually hit it fairly straight 
And by the way, I'm pretty good at chipping and putting too. I mean, if we look at his stats at the US Open and the guy was top like three in chipping and putting also. So if you can just get it out there, even if you hit it into the rough and you could be number three in chipping and number one, I think he was in putting, it's gonna work out okay for you, right? How long he's gonna to need to continue to eat 6,000 calories a day or whatever he's doing and how long he'll be able to sustain that. I mean, time is gonna tell. You know, will having all that size ultimately wear his joints down and stuff? Time is gonna tell. We don't know the answer to this. I mean, he's a young single guy. I mean, one of the things you see, and again, doesn't get talked about quite often enough about tour guys, like let's see what happens when he gets married, has he has kids and all these other things pop up in life as opposed to spending three hours a day in the gym and you know, eating for three hours a day and practicing for six hours a day, right? Like I love the discipline. I'm, I respect what he's done huge. Like, and I think it's great for the game, but at the same time, is that sustainable as he matures, ages and goes through time? But uh, there's certainly things we can all learn from him. I, I don't think you can take, uh, like I work with Carlos Ortiz who won this past week. I don't think if Carlos put on 40 or 50 pounds, that would do him too much good. I think the guy would snap in half. Right. I mean, he's just a small, thin, lanky guy. His body is not meant to be 50 pounds heavier. And his joint, like if you look at people's joints, like if you look at Bryson, like just the thickness of his wrist, his ankles, his joints, like he's got big structure to support mass. You get somebody who's got thin ankles, thin wrists, thin joints, thin bones. You hear the term big boned, all of these terms, like those type of people, well, they can hold more mass. If you're not that, well, guess what? Putting 50 pounds on is probably not going to give you the same result it gave Bryson. It's probably going to make you slow because you don't have the structure to support the load and you're not going to be able to utilize it the way he's been able to utilize it, right? So you can't just say, oh, because Bryson did that, we should all go do that. I mean, that's just crazy, right? But at the same time, you got to find how to maximize distance for yourself. And that can be improving launch conditions, impact alignments, uh, launch angle, you know, everybody, wherever you're at, you can swing it faster. We can make you stronger. We can get you to increase speed. There are things you can do in the gym to be better than where you are today. Almost everybody can be better than where they are today, no doubt, right? So we should be doing all of those things we can. I mean, you should have good nutrition, but that doesn't mean, you know, he's not like he gained all muscle. I mean, he's got plenty of fat on him as well. And, but he's like, hey, look, long as I'm strong enough to maintain, to, to manage the total mass and the total load, that's a net positive for me. And so he's obviously strong enough to handle it right now. And so he's taking advantage. I mean, it's going to be fun to see what he does this week. Um, it's going to be very interesting. So, so Ben, you touched upon a little there um, that you, you wouldn't like to see the golf ball pushed back. And, and I totally agree with that. It's probably not smart for your average hack out there just trying to once a week Sunday player. But um, for the PGA Tour, I mean, don't you feel like something has to be done because scoring now is just so – I mean, it's just so easy. I mean, it, it seems what if we like – What if we just change par? But a par becomes 70. I've never heard that one yet. I, we've heard, I've heard about maybe the, turning back the golf ball, um, turning back equipment. Because we're, we're, we are running out of real estate on these golf courses. Yeah, and the cost of doing it. Most of, these, uh, most of these clubs maybe host one event a year. But now you have to have more land, which costs you more money. 
you got more taxes, you got to maintain it, you got to use chemicals, you got to staff it, you got to insure it, like you got to water it. Like it's, it's a big financial drain on these clubs that host these events. And the reality is once the tour guys leave after that week, you got back, you know, the Sunday 220 dinker is back on the club. He doesn't need an extra 700 yards added to his golf course, but he's the guy who's the member is footing the bill. Right. It's like, oh, man, my dues just went up and you know, I just got an assessment or whatever the case may be. He doesn't need that. So, like, if, a, if, if amateurs play it at 70, 72, par 72, why can't you move it to the tips and call it par 70? Done. Problem solved. What about thoughts on, like, maybe lengthening rough? Sure. I mean, look, I, I think you can obviously go back to the old days where, you know, you, you make the more penal to have you know, for your missus. And I, I have no problem with that. Obviously, you know, the problem with keep speeding up the greens is a lot of these courses were built 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. And those greens are not designed to be running at 14. They're, you know, we're already maxing out most of the green speed. I mean, we're pushing the limit on most of the places. They're just, you know, these are, and especially, you know, you go to some of these classic golf courses, Donald Ross and Tillinghast and all these incredible architects, they weren't building golf courses that have 15 stimp. Like it's just not designed to do that. So you can't, there's only so much, you can, you can let the rough come up. Sure. I mean, I think that's an okay solution. I mean, obviously if you go to a restricted flight ball just for tour players um, and it creates a percentage decrease, that would be okay. Cause obviously if Bryson hits it 350 and it's a 10% decrease, he's at 315. If Zach Johnson hits it 275, he, his 10% is going to be less punished then Bryson's 10%. Is that really going to be enough? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but to me, that doesn't seem like a solution. And the cost of producing balls just for tour players seems pretty expensive <laughs> as a thing to do for these companies. Not saying they couldn't do it, but it just seems crazy. Like I think manipulating par and that it is a much, and we have weeks that it's 71. I and mean, it's not like every week it's 72. Why does it have to be 72? I mean, who wrote that rule? Or we're going to get used to guys winning at 2,500. Pick, take your choice. I mean, or, you know, and you stop make, you know, when you start, if you lower par, it's like, hey, look, unless it's like 550, it's a par four, man. <laughs> That's it. Like, there's no more 495-yard par fives or 515 par fives. Those are all par fours now. Game over. Like, there's ways to manage it, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great point. I think there's a lot of things we could do. It's just a matter of what's going to end up happening and what the players are going to kind of all coincide and agree to. Um, but I just want to finish off here with a fun little segment. So we're going to do a quick rapid fire. So basically, yeah. I'm just going to give you an either or and you just let me know what you which, which side you're taking. So first, first one, we got West Coast golf or East Coast golf. I'm an East Coast guy. What kind of question is that? <laughs> all right. Uh, would you rather spend life on the tour or relax at home? Relax at home. Uh, active or passive stretching or mobility? Depends. So I'm going to get, I know you want an answer, but you I'm going you, you can I'm go gonna more explain in depth. to you. Passive stretching is good for joint mobility. Active stretching is good for muscle movement. So if your okay. joint is stiff, Long, slow, active, pa passive stretching works for that better. Okay. 
if you need more like a dynamic movement and get your muscles moving better, not the joint, then more active is better. All right, cool. Interesting. All right, Bryson or Finau? Bryson, I love what he's done. Sweet. All right, this is a funny one for you. Orange or blue? Come on, orange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that was going to be it. Uh, all right, Lynx golf or treeline golf? Treeline. You got that Northeasterner at heart. Uh, mallet or blade putter? For me or for <laughs> what do I? Uh, I, like, I like blade because I think it's pure. I like that too. And the final one, number one in the world or a major victory? Number one in the world. That's right, baby. Luke Donald. Way, way less people have been number one in the world than have won major championships. That's a good point. That is very true. Uh, well, anyway, that was amazing. I think I'm sure uh, Sol and, and Matt learned a ton. I know I definitely did. And we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Um, and I mean, you're, you're one of the pioneers of the golf fitness industry. So it's an honor to have you on. Uh, we hope sometime in the future when we make it big, we can we can re or you can rejoin us. Um, but again, thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, guys, anything I can do to help you out, just let me know. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. So uh, for our listeners, by the way, if you want to check out Ben Shear, um, you can go on Instagram and type into the search Ben Shear Golf, and you'll see that with his favorite color, orange, gray, the BSG as the story highlights. Or if you want to go online and read up on Ben, you can go to bensheargolf.com. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. And I just learned during this whole interview that I need to get off my – my lazy butt, go to the gym, work on stretching and get rid of that low back pain. But thanks so much for your time, Ben. It was true, uh, truly a treat to talk to you. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Guys, it's the Masters Week. We talked about this first episode, second episode. It's going to be a tradition truly unlike any other. I am so glad I'm able to say that again. Um, Bo, what are some storylines we should look out for this week? Or what should we talk about going forward? Like it's the masters, like it's Christmas in November, practically it's, I don't know. It's like better than new year's. It's better than the winter classic. It's the masters week in November. Yeah. I'm super excited. Obviously the big headline is will tiger defend. It's been, I think it's been 538 days since he last won at Augusta last April. So his game has not been sharp this these last couple of months. He hasn't played much, but when he has played, it's been really much, really hit or miss. Um, and there's not been many hits, but you never know. It's Tiger Woods. It's Augusta. He always seems to play well and show up for the majors. And you guys were just talking about DJ um, and Hideki. And you got to give DJ credit. He's had some injuries. He's had some personal issues and, and stuff throughout his career. But since he won that major in 2016, he's always showed up for the major weeks. He's always played well. Um, He had a good performance this year at the PGA. And last year at Augusta, he almost got Tiger at the end. So he's a guy to watch. But also, Joaquin Neiman and Sergio had to withdraw because they both got COVID. So unlike DJ, their hopes this year are diminished. Um, And it kind of sucks. First time Augusta and the Masters have ever been played in November, something different, and you get the boot, you can't even play. So you feel for those guys, but at the end of the day, um, we still have the Masters. We're still playing this week in November, so 
regardless of who's playing and who's not, I'm super excited and I'm just eager to see the guys back out there down in Georgia. Yeah, Bo, just a little quick fact check on you. This is the first time the PGA Tour has played Augusta National for the Masters Tournament in November. However, the PGA Seniors Championship in 1937 was held in November in 1937, and in 1938 it was held in December. But, I mean, who really cares about that? It's the PGA Seniors Championship, no television. I mean, so, like, that brings us back to a question I have for both of you. Like, what is, like, another sporting event that's so reclusive? Like, maybe Wimbledon, maybe the Olympics, the Rose Bowl. But, like, all those things happen at a certain time of year, and this is so different. Like, how do you see everything, like, shaping up to really make this week a different tournament than we've seen in the past? Yeah, Sully, there's really nothing like it. I know it's basically impossible to get tickets to the Masters, I guess you could compare it to maybe the Kentucky Derby or you said the Rose Bowl and Wimbledon are both good comparisons. But like you said earlier, it's truly a tradition unlike any other. Um, And especially this year because it's in November and I'm pretty eager to see how the course plays. I think it's going to be a bit shaggier than April just because I think the grass grows a bit differently, but I mean, it's a tradition unlike any other. And this year it's almost like the fans are going in not knowing what we're going to get. So it's truly unlike any other. Um, But yeah, it's just such an exclusive event. And for having an entire year and a half off, I think every golf fan is just shaking in their boots. They're so excited for this week, um, as are the players to get back there. So, yeah. There will be – yeah, this is going to really just going to be a crazy, crazy year. Um, No fans, first of all. That's as absolutely – Terrible. I hate that. That stinks. Like, come on, what are we doing here? Uh, no fans, no tiger roar. No, if someone hits a shot on the 15th, people on the 16th tee aren't going to whip their heads around. Like what happened back there? Um, there's going to be no azaleas in bloom. I'm a big garden guy. If you guys don't know, not actually, but the no azaleas, like, come on, it's the masters. Like where are the azaleas? Come on, ship them, ship them in from somewhere else in the country. So they're ready to go. Um, no gallery ropes, so I mean, there's not not gonna be like that Bubba Watson hook shot recreated where they have like the hole in the gallery, which is gonna be a real, a real difference for me at least. No grandstands. Um, it's really just gonna be the greenery of the course, the players walking up and down the striped fairways, and I mean, it's the Masters. I mean, I can be like, oh, uh, there's not gonna be no fans, there's not gonna be any azaleas, but whatever. It's the Masters. Like, grow up. Come on, let's go. Let's get, come on, put your seatbelts on, strap in, let's get ready. This is a 2020 Masters. Paul, what's your biggest storyline this week? You know, so, I mean, just, I was thinking about this this morning and, you know, the winning score and just the, the scores in general, I, I'm having a feeling that de- it's all going to depend on the weather. I mean, I, I know that, you know, I looked at the, the weather forecast for this week and yes they say possible rain for the first couple of days um now depending on the weather i think this week is going to be very high scoring or very low scoring so we may see the lowest tournament score ever here at augusta national maybe it's in the 20s under par but i'm you know i'm hoping for some difficult conditions and a fun one to watch i mean if the conditions are easy and it's perfect temperature out there, not too many gusts of wind, 
yeah, you're going to be having Bryson's and the, and the, and the bigger hitters just pounding through these, these difficult holes like 11. I know Bryson DeChambeau in his practice round, just having a flip wedge into 11 to start amen corner. I mean, what is that? I mean, that's supposed to be one of the hardest holes in the golf course. And this guy's having just a flip lob wedge in here. Like, I mean, there, there's gotta be some, some weather, um, to come into play or this is going to be a joke of a week yeah there is some rain in the forecast at least so bryson can carry it 350 but doesn't mean he's going to go 400 350 though that's still going to do just fine but as far as temperatures looks like it's going to be mid 70s all week so temperature wise it shouldn't play too much of a factor the guy should still be hitting it far um and carrying it their normal yardages but it's going to be wet like I said earlier, the course is definitely going to be a bit shaggy. So the longer rough, I mean, they don't even really have much rough there, but the longer first cut, longer fairways, I'm sure they'll have the greens perfect, but um, it's going to play differently for sure. I think it'll definitely play a lot longer just because of the, the effect of the wetness on the course. And that's definitely going to favor a guy like Bryson. So Paul, you talked about it. He's having a flip wedge into 11, which is one of the toughest par fours out there. Most guys have six iron, seven iron. Um, so it's really his tournament to lose. You know, he he's in the position where if he puts up four good rounds, he should walk away the winner, just given how far he's hitting the ball and, and how well his game um, has progressed this past year. So it's really his to lose. Like I said, if he puts a good week together, he should win. But you can't count out the others. You have DJ, you have Kepka, Tiger defending. And, you know, everybody else, there's so many good young players so it's going to be interesting. I, you know, I think it's going to be cool to see how the week pans out, but I talked about it a bit earlier. I just really want to see how the course plays, see if my predictions are right um, and see if it's, if it's a slower course, see maybe if it, if it goes the opposite and it's faster. Um, so I, I'm just kind of in suspense right now. Yeah. So Bo, uh, you previously touched on Tiger Woods. Um, if he can or cannot successfully defend his championship from that great Sunday. I remember, I remember I was watching it in my, uh, my apartment at school the Stanford t-shirt on my Stanford hat. Um, just watching the TV being that typical degenerate. And when tiger hit that putt, I mean, I'll save you guys for those who are wearing headphones. I was yelling at TV, like, let's go my boy, tiger woods, baby. Let's go. Just so elated. Another storyline I've, I've been watching and doing a little research on is Roy, Roy McIlroy needs a Masters to complete his career Grand Slam. Is it going to happen this year or is it not? Um, just for me, I don't think Roy has it in the bag. Uh, I think he's been struggling a little bit too much lately. But I'm going to throw that one out to you boys before I move on to my next talking point. Yeah, I personally, so I don't think he's – one, I don't think he's going to win the Masters, but I don't even think he's going to have another major in him. I don't think he's got it. I mean, obviously he's going to, yes, he's going to win again, but major, no, I don't think he has it in him. I mean, he's, he has the game, but mentally he just can't close. I mean, we see it so many times with him throughout the past. Well, think about it. He hasn't won a major championship in six years. Isn't that hard to believe? So think about it. Six years, Rory McIlroy. It's not that hard to believe. Um, it's also very challenging to win a major championship. I understand. He's a different, but for a guy like of his caliber, for his caliber of when he started playing to where he is now, like I would have expected him to have more. Um, he's gone through personal struggles. I mean, 
he's a kid now. He's got a lot going on. It's different from when he was a, his pudgy self, looking like a friendly lunch lady with the long hair and the hat, the uh, Augusta press conference um, when he was a Titleist guy, when he had like the huge Jumerai sponsorship on his um, the left chest. I just don't think he has what it takes. No, I don't. I mean, no, I think he has what it takes. I think he's at his best. I think he's the best player out there by far. I mean, he's he's got he, when his driving is on, he's unbeatable. He's almost unbeatable. But, I mean, when, but when has he been 100 percent on? I agree. Like, I can agree. we throw he that really back? Isn't. He really isn't. Do I have to re- rewind really the isn't. clocks back like five, six years to no. when he like was? So he, he, his confidence, his confidence is just not there. He's, Obviously not. He's been eating too much Domino's, dude. But, you know, I mean, it, it happens. But think about it. He's only 31 years old. So he's – and they say guys play their best go- golf in their 30s. But with Rory McIlroy, what he did at such an early age, it's hard. I mean, look at Jordan Spieth. I mean, the guy basically did an amazing – had an amazing career for himself in just four – in just three, four years of his three or four first years on tour. And look Jordan Spieth also has what? He has th- – uh, well, he has – three of the majors, right? Yep. He just doesn't have the PGA. Yeah. I mean, he, he's Jordan. I don't think is he's going to get it. I, I don't, I don't even know if Jordan speed will win again, to be honest. I mean, I'm sure it'll happen. That's insane. Jordan's going to win again for sure. He's going to win another major. Everybody's writing him off. Cause he's had a couple bad couple. I mean, you know what they're saying? He's had a couple bad seasons for a good amount of guys out there. The last two seasons he's had would be solid seasons, but our expectations for Jordan are so high that, we see, oh, he, he because he had... came on the game so hot. He came on so hot, so heavy. Was just it was basically him versus the field, reminiscent of the young Tiger Woods. Well, you it's under surprised, man. I mean, this a lot of guys' careers end this way. I mean, when they get hot at such an early age. I mean, it, it happens to players. I mean, that that's it. You get you get this fame in you at 21, 23 years of age, and and then suddenly you can't handle it all. It's just too much to take in. I mean, yeah, obviously- that's, that's definitely not the issue with Jordan. Yeah, just take it. pressure better than anybody. I think he said he tried to chase distance and after 2017, and that kind of screwed up his swing and, and the, the feels in his swing that he felt most comfortable with. And I think from there, he was in that time where he was just thinking about a swing rather than going out and playing and reacting to the course. Um, and, it took him, I think, a year and a half or two years to finally recognize that and just say, listen, what did I do when I won in 2015 and 2016, 2017? What were my tendencies there? Why don't I just try to revert back to that? Whatever I did naturally, whatever I feel comfortable with, that obviously worked. So we talked about Jordan a bit in prior episodes, and it seems like he's trying to get back to the 2015 feels. Um so I definitely like the fact that you say he's not going to win again. That's just like, he's way too talented to not win again. I do think he's going to win another major. And listen, like we saw him at Houston last week, pull a classic Jordan in this day and age, go out, he's leading. And then he ends up missing the cut somehow. And I think people see that and they're all automatically like, Oh, this dude's done. There's no way he can come back. But in my opinion, he's way too talented, way too good of a golfer to not win again. Awesome. Here's the thing, Bo. Here's wait, the- wait, wait, going off that, I just don't want to get in after you have your point and we can talk about something else. But going off that, I do agree with Bo in a way that Jordan, like everyone writing him off, um, what's another golfer that got written off a ton? Tiger. After Tiger had his marital incident, 
when his back went to crap and then he got the fusion and in a way came back to a figure that was tiger-esque but not completely completely the tiger we all remember so tiger has, was got was written off by brandel chambly himself brandel was like hey he's never gonna come back he's never gonna win another tournament well guess what brandel what do you think about it now buddy my boys my boys got a huge dub under his belt paul go ahead bud yeah i mean i yes i'm sure that there will be a couple more wins in his in his he's got a couple more wins under his belt to, to come but major i don't think so i mean he's never here's the thing jordan spieth has never had a great golf swing he is a great field golfer and when his timing is on he is very, very sharp. And his putting is basically amongst the best in golf history when he was at his best. The guy from inside 20 feet was almost a machine. It was the stats he put up were unbelievable. I mean, no one really came close to the statistics that he put up, especially in the clutch in the big events. So can he do that again? I don't know. I mean, I really, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, the guy is struggling right now on kicking putts, the putts that he would just not even think about and they would fall every time. So if he wants to start contending again, he's got a lot of work to do. So I know I mentioned one storyline. My last storyline line is, is John Rom ready to make the inaugural strike? And by that, I mean, get his first master's win. I mean, John Rahm's been there in the past. I know one of us in the show, Bo, is a huge fan, a little fanboy moment when he sees him walk on the TV screen. John Rahm, 25 years old, second in the world ranking. This is his third Masters appearance, best Masters finish, fourth in 2018. Rahm's got game. That's all I can say. He, uh, in the practice round today on Monday, he had a hole-in-one spun the ball back into the cup pretty majestic then he and ian poulter were fooling around with mercedes maybox out in the parking lot but bo since he's your guy he's you're like you're his namesake kind of bo um what do you think the future of this week has in store for johnny rom well i think john rom is a great pick any week doesn't matter if it's the masters or any tournament i'm definitely a bit biased because rombo is my boy uh the one thing though that is a little questioning for Rom at the Masters is Augusta has so many dog leg lefts. You have two, you have five, you have 10, just to name a few. I mean, there's a ton, 13, obviously, the famous par five. And Rom, everybody knows Rom loves to cut the ball. Um, so he, I know he uses his three wood as his draw club. And with the course playing long this year, is that going to be an issue for him? Is he going to be having longer clubs into the greens? Obviously, he's on the on the far longer end of players on tour he kills the ball but at the same time it's like when bryson doesn't even care and he's hitting driver no matter what and he has a pitching wedge in to the fifth hole and rombo has a five iron and that's a big disadvantage so rombo's a great pick i just um he's gonna have to do everything right to win this week he's so talented and he obviously he has the game for it as do many guys out there but he's gonna have to plot his way around that course really pick his spots hit the balls in the right in the right places because there's certain holes that if he tries to play that cut or if he doesn't commit to a draw, he could really get screwed. So if he does the right things, if he commits to those draw shots, yeah, I would take Rombo any day of the week. But like I said, he just, he's just got to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, 
I agree with you on everything you said. You just gotta, you just gotta close it out. He's gotta just string all four rounds together to be there on Sunday to have a shot at it, which he has in the past. But last thing before we move on, um, will Bryson DeChambeau make a mockery of this course with his added distance? We touched on it before. It really just depends on the weather, guys. So, Paul, what do we got up next? Yeah, so we're going to have some call-ins. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have our first caller. Caller number one on the mystery line. Give us a quick little introduction about uh, name, where you're from, and get into it, bud. What's going on, boys? Thanks for having me on. This is Zach from uh, Shadyside, Maryland. Oh, Shady Town. What's up? So what's your, uh, what's your breakdown this week? Who you got? Um, who's a good, a good person that you think's going to have it in the end? And uh, who are a couple of your sleepers? Um, yeah, it's going to be a crazy week, honestly. Um, uh, it's a uh, yeah, tradition, like, unlike any other played in the year unlike any other. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be very weird coming down to end. I don't really know much of what's going on with the weather uh, boys, but uh, I don't know who I, who I think is going to win. Um, you got to give it to Dustin Johnson. That guy has had a year, man. He, and honestly, I think this will be a perfect way to cap it off. He won the FedEx cup. I think winning a major this year will really cap off probably one of the greatest seasons in PGA tour history. Um, Personally, I want I actually want Rory to win. Um, I, I I'm a big fan of greatness. Huge huge fan of Tiger. Uh, of course, I hope he wins also. But I think um, I think in a year like this, this will be the um, this will be the way for uh, Rory to cap off that career Grand Slam, which would be great. And then uh, my sleepers, I got three of them actually. Uh, so I think it's going to be a big hitters week. Um, I think that's what all the uh, Everybody's been saying. I'm sure you guys have been talking about that as well. Um, so, I, so uh, some outside guys that are looking in. I think Scotty Scheffler, that guy, uh, that guy can hit it far. Um, he's played well in some big tournaments, and people don't really know much about him. Uh, and then somebody, some international guy, I love Tyrell Hatton. He, that dude's got that dude's got some flair. Uh, he's electric, and even with no fans, he's gonna make the tournament electric. And then obviously at Augusta, you got to putt well. And best putter on tour, I think by far, Kevin. Nah, I actually really hope to see on Sunday on 18. You know, his signature walking walking the putt before it even goes in. I really want to see that happen. So I don't know. And I think winning score is going to be around eh, 16, 18 under. I think it's going to be a pretty low league. What do you th- what do you boys think? Yeah, well, before I get into Kevin Nazak, I must say, um, Dustin Johnson. Now, I would love for him to win, but the one concern I have is Augusta being a drawer's golf course. Now, DJ, off the tee, as we all know, is the best cutter of the golf ball on tour, one of the best, at least, off the tee. When it comes to hitting draws, he's a little little shaky. And now, as we, when we have seen in prior events. Now, Dustin, he played great last week in Houston. Great to see that. Clearly his form is still here, but it's going to come down to, can he put the ball in the fairway at Augusta? If he can do that, I think he could definitely win. All right. Yeah, it sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for taking my call, boys. All right. Absolutely. Stay safe. Zach from Shady Down, Maryland. Have a good one, bud. For our next caller, uh, 
we're just going to pass this kid in from uh, Bloomington, Indiana is the caller ID. Bloomington, Indiana, state your name uh, and give us your uh, who you think's going to win, who you want to win, and one sleeper pick. My name's Brendan Kelly. Um, who do I want to win? I guess probably either Tiger, Brooks, or Xander. Um, who do I think will win? I think Brooks tied second last year, tied by fifth in the most recent tournament, and has 10 top tens or 10 top fives in just 25 majors. He always comes to play uh, during the major week, or <clears throat> pardon me, during majors. And as far as a sleeper, I think I'd go with Justin Rose. He seems to always be around that top 15, top 20 every year at the Masters. Won it not too long ago. So I think, I think he'd be my super pick for the week. Yeah, Brendan. Um, personally, the Justin Rose one, the sleeper, I mean, yeah, I, I like where you're going with it, but I see what you're saying. But, um, you know, he, he's his form the past year has just been awful, just really awful. And, I mean, just miscut after miscut. And if it would be very, very impressive if he came back and won this. I mean, he's a great player. He has a lot of success around this course. I mean, obviously he hasn't won. He had that um, runner-up to Sergio in the playoff a few years back. But, you know – just this is a course where you've got to be informed, especially off the tee. And when Justin Rose is a great driver of the golf ball, but is he informed? It does not look like that just based on his finishes and just seeing him. I mean, yes, he was the number one player in the world just not too long ago, but ever since then, I don't know what has happened. His confidence and his swing has just been all discombobulated and is, will Kenny get it back this week? It's yet it, it we will see, but um, personally, I, I don't think he's going to do it. Any uh, closing statements from you, Brendan from Indiana? Uh, no, that's all. Thanks for having me on, and I'll be sure to give it a listen. Thanks for coming on, bud, and uh, have a good one. Of course. Thanks. See you, Sully. Okay. Uh, caller number three, where are you from? What's your name? Give us, uh, give us who you think is going to win, who you want to win, and one sleeper. What's up, back then, bros? I'm Joe from Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, my favorite, I think, the win is going to be Rory McIlroy. And he's also, the, I believe right now, should be the best in the world, even though he's fifth ranked. Rory, he has always been around Augusta. He knows this course by now. He, he's mastered Every all these greens, all the fairways, where to miss, where not to miss. Um, with all the bad memories he's had in the past, I think it's his time, his turn here down in Augusta, Georgia. Um, who do I want to win? I'm gonna go with Rory again. He is my favorite player, you know, from your hometown in Hollywood, Northern Ireland. Just an amazing golfer sleeper. I mean, going back and forth, but I think it's gotta be Matt Kuchar. I mean, Kuchar is, has, has been around this course even longer than Rory. You know, I think he's going to be around at least his 15th time here at Augusta, I would imagine. Um, he's always been steady around uh, in the majors. He hasn't been able to pull one out yet, but, with Cooch, never really know. I mean, we saw Sergio finally pull away three years ago. With Cooch, he, he can do the same thing. We'll see.
Yeah, Joe, you bring up uh, Matt Kuchar. Um, what are your thoughts, though, on the length, though, of this course? I mean, Kuch, you know, obviously is not the longest of hitters out here. And Augusta, you're sure. going to need some length around this place if you sure. want success. So, I mean, sure. I, I like the Matt Kuchar pick because I think he's, you know, he's very, really in desperation mode for major and he's got a full court press on and, and trying to get one. I mean, he's 42 years of age now and running out of time. So, but, you know, he's got he's to gotta hit the ball consistently over 300 yards, which he does not do. Um, sure. You know, especially with the guys he's up against, DJ, Bryson, Rombo, and it's just, and Rory, as you you mentioned. So, I mean, do you really think he stands a chance? As I said, this is a sleeper pick. This is not a favorite. Um, so, would I bet on him? No, but I still think he has a chance. I I, I think you know he's proven to win on golf courses. Um, an example would be, I believe Ridgewood back in twenty two thousand nine. I want to say. Obviously, the game was a lot different 10 years ago, but he's able to win on big golf courses. But um, the thing with Cooch, well, especially this week, I've been hearing that it's going to be a lot of bad weather. I think Thursday and Friday, and they're going to get a lot of rain. And I'm assuming the wind will possibly be a factor into this. And with wind, it doesn't really matter how far you hit the ball. You just have to grind it out there and, and play good golf and we've seen Cooch do that all throughout his whole career I mean, that's who Cooch is he's, he's a grinder um you know he's he's, a, he's not the longest hitter as you as you said Paul but he's a uh he's always there he's always steady that's why he was there um the wire to wire with uh with Jordan back at Birkdale um for the British Open but Cooch, I, I think, as I said, I wouldn't bet on him, but I think he still has a shot. I think I'd say at least the top 30 for him this week. Definitely, uh, definitely some interesting conversation there between Joe and Paul. But yeah, so thank you for your time, Joe. And uh, yeah, have a good one. Thanks, bud. No problem. Thanks for letting me on. Okay. So we did three callers. We got our three guys out of the way, and now we move on to the experts. Um, Don't tread lightly. This is expert talk here. We don't know what we're talking about. In fact, we're most of the time wrong, but we'll give you a reason why we think these guys have the best chances at winning the 2020 Masters tournament. I'm going to throw it over here to my boy, Polv, to take us away. Polv, who is your player this weekend? So I've said this guy's name before in a prior episode, but I'm going to say him again, Xander Shoffley. Okay. Still in search for that major championship. Been knocking on the door for a couple of years now. He is in tremendous form. Um, 17th at Zozo, second at CJ cup, fifth at the U S open won the tour championship top 25 in the BMW and Northern trust tied for 10th at the PGA champ tied for sixth at the FedEx St. Jude 13th Memorial 14th workday charity third at the Charles Schwab. So the guy is up there every week on the PGA tour. And along with those statistics for Augusta national, he can work the ball in both directions off the tee. 
His main shot is a cut, but he also plays a very, very good draw. So this is, as we all know, Augusta National is a drawers golf course. And Xander Shoffley, this should be just fine for him. And he is in desperate search for a major championship. And I think this is his time to do it. And I think he's going to be wearing that green jacket in a few days. You know what, guys? I'm not going to go last here. I want to get in here first before someone else takes my guy. But with no shock here, really no shock. I know one of our callers mentioned poor weather, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? We're going with the new guy, the guy who's changing golf, the guy who is the headline king in the game of golf, had a six-shot domination, pure evisceration at the U.S. Open. It was it was awesome. It was a culmination of mental and physical transformation that has many thinking about where is the game of golf going? Is it going to be a power game? Is, is the golf ball going to get turned back? Are there going to be new rules and regulations? This guy has spent the last four weeks, quote unquote, speed trading. And today there was an Instagram posted of him hitting a 201 mile an hour ball speed drive on the range at Augusta. This guy I don't even think I need to say his name anymore because everyone knows who it's going to be. But if you don't do some more reading, bud, um, it's Bryson DeChambeau, 27 years old, number six in the world golf ranking. This is his third master's appearance. His uh, best appearance, he was actually an amateur um, when he had this best appearance. It was tied for 21st, 2015. But Bryson dominated at Wingfoot, and there's no one can really contest me on this because the only way Bryson loses is if there's high wind. And I'm willing to take the chance that this storm that's coming in Thursday and Friday, Bryson's going to be able to keep the ball under the wind. Not going to be hitting the ball as far. Saturday, Sunday, he's going to be a horse of a different color. He's going to be, he's going to be out there disrupting everyone's predictions that didn't pick him. It's literally going to be Bryson versus the field. Um, I mean, he knows what it takes to win a major. He spent the last four weeks prepping himself physically and mentally, like I said. Bryson is just one of those guys who it's either his tournament or it's not his tournament. But, I mean, he's completely different than he was last year at this time, physically. Guy just looks like, like I said in past episodes, definitely a direct quote here, but an absolute linebacker. I love Bryson DeChambeau. Just the thought of him walking up and down the fairways, getting all the media attention. It's good. I mean, I think it's great for the game of golf to have a guy like Bryson win also, because like, what's the main goal for us in the game of golf to grow the game, to make sure the game doesn't die out. And Bryson's one of those guys who's going to grow the game. The media headlines are parallel to Tiger Woods back in the day. He's just been getting so much attention. I think it's well-deserved. Bryson DeChambeau is my guy this week for the win masters tournament Sunday. You know what it is. It's going to be an early finish. Ma whip up the roast. Let's go. All right. No surprise there. Sully. I think 99.9% of people think Bryson has a good shot this week. I'm taking a bit of a different route. Not many people have this guy on his radar, but I'm going with Sung JM dudes, a hell of a player, still a young guy. And he won the Honda classic, I think earlier this year in February or something, something like that. Um, he's super talented, and I don't really know much about his game, but I know he's good, so I could see him winning. And I was really thinking between him and Tommy Fleetwood. And Fleetwood always seems to play well in majors, but he just never seems to be able to get the win. I think uh, it's eluded him too many times for me to commit to Fleetwood at this point. So I'm going with Sung J.M. 
If you ask me who I want to win, I'm going with Jordan Spieth because I just want to see him come back. He always plays well at Augusta, so it's not out of the possibility. Um, but uh, Sung JM, I think he's a pretty safe pick just because of how consistent a player he is. And it's time for a Korean dude to get, get the Masters win. Bo, I will say you don't want Rombo, your guy, to get his first major championship. little surprise there. Yeah, I was so, kind of shocked and Rombo. taken aback. I was shocked and I taken a, I was shocked and taken aback by that. Going with a guy like Sun J M. Like, what's going on, Bo? You feeling okay? You take your temp- temperature this morning? I mean, of course I want Rombo to win, but that's just a given. I mean, Rombo's my boy. You don't have to ask me. Oh, you think Rombo's gonna win? Every week I think Rombo's gonna win. Every week I want him to win. So of course, Rombo Jordan doesn't matter. Rombo's always gonna be on my radar. So you guys are just fools thinking that I don't want Rombo to win. Rombo is the man. I think he'll play well this week. But, I mean, Jordan deserves it. He had a great run. It would still be cool to, to see him come back and play well. Yeah, what but, happened to your boy? Um, I was talking about your picks in the past. What happened to your boy, Nick, uh, Nicholas? James Nicholas. Yeah, how was that pick? Yeah, you know, didn't pan out that week, but uh, neither did your pick, Justin Suss. So I don't want to hear any of these of this banter from you guys anymore. I mean, you listen, deserve it. You listen, pick your guy you guys, give, you guys give James Nicholas just, you, you talk so much crap about him. I guarantee you one day he will emerge on tour. He will destroy all of your expectations and you will be bowing down to me, serving me French fries and pimento cheese sandwiches on the 12th hole at Augusta National. James Nicholas is talented. He has what it takes. He works hard. And once he makes it to the big stage and he's playing in these majors, He's going to show you guys what it's like to be a true champion. You guys are whining on your little podcast. Yeah, James Nicholas is coming for your throats. Okay, a little correction there, our podcast. And you bring up an interesting subject to close out this week's episode or this specific special uh, Masters episode. You said something about French fries and pimento cheese sandwiches on whatever hole. But what is your favorite hole? You can only choose one. I don't want you to be like, well, these are my three sleepers from the course. Um, what is your favorite hole in the course? Why do you think it's going to play a factor this week? My favorite hole is the 15th, good par five, second shots over the water, downhill. And it may get a bit overshadowed because of 12 and 13. And then obviously you have the 16th right after it, the famous par three, where we've seen so many good shots, especially Tiger over the years. But the 15th is just something special. I was able to go to the Masters last year and just walking down the right side of that hole under the trees, seeing these guys hit four and five irons into that green. It's just majestic. I mean, it's such a cool vantage point because you're on the top of the hill from the middle of the fairway and you're basically looking down to the 15th green. You could see all of 16. You could see over to the 17th tee and into the fairway. And you can also see the sixth, the par three coming down past 16. So it's such a cool spot. And, you know, Rombo, he's my boy. He's a bomber at heart. So I got to go with the par five. But 15, everybody talks about 12 and 13. And don't get me wrong, those are great holes. But if you just had the time to relax on the 15th, I think everybody would fall in love with it. I like that uh, point you bring up, uh, Bo. But I'm going to go with the next hole, 16, the par three over the water. Beautiful, beautiful hole. Um, you know, the, the famous bunker along the left side, right, right on the green side there. And we've seen a lot of tremendous shots on 
the final round Sunday coming down the clutch with that you everyone using the slope on that green um, and just such a fun hole to just sit back and relax and just watch some great golf on um, at, on Master Sunday so I have to go with that hole a lot of a lot of history on that hole um, obviously you could say 18 has a lot of history because that's where the winner is usually walking up but you know a lot of history has been made on the 16th hole as well so to close out this episode, I mean, my favorite has got to be the 11th hole. It's pretty much the gates into heaven, um, into Amen Corner. Um, it can be it can be a pretty challenging hole for some. I mean, it's a dogleg right. Traditionally, on the scorecard, second hardest hole in the course. Tee shot requires a power fade, uh, followed by like a mid iron. Who knows what Bryson's going to do? Probably driver putter. Um, definitely not going to do that, but... That would be phenomenal. I mean, I'd probably be like, shut up, take my money, teach me what you know, get me in the same shape as you. But um, that's never going to happen. Uh, then you get up to the green. It's a green protected by a pond to the left and a bunker to the back right. Like on average years, the, score, the stroke average is like around 4, 4.3, 4.4. Um, I mean, the highest score on this hole has been a nine. So it's enough. It's, it's a pretty, can be a pretty challenging hole if you hit a bad shot in there. Um, worst average, just so you guys know on the tournament is Craig Wood on this hole. It's, uh, he's got a 4.1 through the four rounds and, uh, 4.81, my bad, but yeah, that's my favorite hole. Um, just even playing it in video games and even seeing it there. It's just like, wow, this is, uh, definitely an overlooked hole for some, but yeah, that's it for our special week um we're gonna have something later on this week to keep you guys on your toes but that is it for us for right now ladies and gentlemen hello friends it's augusta week strap in let's go